turbulent times call for clear-headed insight. That's hard to come by these days, especially on TV. That's where we come in. Salem News Channel has the greatest collection of conservative minds all in one place. People you know and trust, like Dennis Prager, Eric Metaxas, Charlie Kirk, and more. Unfiltered, unapologetic truth. Find what you're searching for at snc.tv and on Local Now Channel 525. City WLCC Brandon. Faith Talk Tampa. Online at letstalkfaith.com. Or listen on TuneIn and Odyssey. The following is sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries and is pre-recorded. Welcome to today's Verse by Verse radio program. We are going to continue hearing from Pastor Steve Kreloff as he is teaching through First Peter. Specifically, we are going to continue talking about trials and why we have trials in our lives as Christians. In First Peter chapter 1, verse 7, there is a very interesting phrase. Let me read it for you. That the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire. This concept of gold tested by fire is going to come up on today's program. And perhaps you already know the concept behind purifying gold. If so, it's always good to hear it again. Our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, has been doing a great job of teaching us God's Word. He is the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. And if you are ever in the Clearwater area, you have an invitation to worship at the Lakeside Community Chapel. It's time now for us to jump into today's program with Reckless Abandon. So, let's jump. Welcome to today's verse-by-verse radio program. We are going to continue hearing from Pastor Steve Kreloff as he is teaching through 1 Peter. Specifically, we are going to continue talking about trials and why we have trials in our lives as Christians. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, there is a very interesting phrase. Let me read it for you. That the proof of your faith, being more precious than gold which is perishable, even though tested by fire. This concept of gold tested by fire is going to come up on today's program. And perhaps you already know the concept behind purifying gold. If so, it's always good to hear it again. Our teacher, Pastor Steve Kreloff, has been doing a great job of teaching us God's Word. He is the pastor of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. And if you are ever in the Clearwater area, you have an invitation to worship at the Lakeside Community Chapel. It's time now for us to jump into today's program with Reckless Abandon. So, let's jump. In this you greatly rejoice. You greatly rejoice. Now look at that. What are they to rejoice in? Are they to rejoice really in their trials? No. In this is referring back to what he's just explained, salvation. In salvation, you are rejoicing. That's why he starts out his letter about salvation. There's something to give you hope. You've got a salvation. It's not all dark. In this, you greatly rejoice, not in the trials, but in the midst of these trials. You can look at a sure foundation of your life. In the midst of trials, you rejoice. 
not because of the trials. Nobody is happy when they go through trials. They may be happy for what trials do in their life, but I never greet a trial and say, I'm happy you're here in the sense that you are here. James says, greet these trials as friends, but you only greet them as friends in the sense of what they're going to do for you. And we'll look at that later. Not in the sense that you say trials are wonderful. Nobody thinks that. It's what they do for you that's wonderful. But look at this. Even though now, for a little while, if necessary, you've been distressed by various trials. God has not made and will not make the Christian life easy. It's tough. It's difficult. And don't believe it when people tell you that you shouldn't go through trials, that everything is just one emotional, great experience. Nothing could be greater. You know, when people greet me, if things are going real well, and they say, how are you? Usually people greet you and don't listen to what you have to say. If they do, and they say, how are you? And they stand there long enough, and I do the same thing at times, and say, how are you? If things aren't going great, I don't say great. I say, okay. And that way, my conscience is clear before God, because okay can mean a number of things. Nobody knows what okay means. So I just say that. But he says that you have been distressed, if necessary, by various trials. God tells us that trials are a reality of the Christian life. And in this passage, in this verse, we want to look at a number of truths concerning its reality. Number one, the time of the testing is short. Notice he says, for a little while. The time of the testing is short. Now, when you're going through a trial, it seems like it lasts forever, doesn't it? It seems like it will never end. Hours seem to just go and slip into days and days into weeks, and it just goes on and on and on. And as a matter of fact, trials have a way of distorting time. They really do. When something hits me, it just seems like months seem to pass, and it's only been a day or two. I just think that when will this ever end? Lord, I can't take it anymore, which is not true because God said he'll not let us be tested above what we're able to handle. But listen, let me encourage you. They won't last forever. The trials you have, the suffering you have, the test you have, the personal battles you're facing tonight will not last forever because Peter says, even though now for a little while, just a little while, the little while to you may seem like a long time, but God says it's just a little while. Now, what that little while is, I don't know. Israel suffered for 400 years. That was a little while compared to eternity. You may suffer just a few hours, just a few days, a few months, but Compared to eternity, it's a little while. Albert Einstein once made a statement in explaining the theory of relativity. He said, when you put your hand on a hot stove for a minute, it seems like an hour. But when you sit next to a pretty woman for an hour, it seems like only a minute. Now, you see, suffering has a way of distorting time. And it really seems to twist time where you have no proper perspective of time. The Apostle Paul wrote in 2 Corinthians 4.17, for momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. It's momentary. It'll pass. It's not going to be forever. You can look up because someday you will not have that suffering. Someday you will not have the extreme pressures. And I mean the trials that you're going through. I'm not talking now about when you die and you're ushered into the presence of God. I mean the personal battle you are fighting now someday will be over. There'll be probably other battles in its place. But what you're experiencing now will not last forever. They will end. I look back at all the trials and the tests that I've had, and I never thought they would end. But they've ended. There's been new ones in their place. I sometimes wish I had the old ones back. They seemed a lot easier. But they end. Yours will end. Someday it won't always be this rough. 
There's another truth. There isn't always a need for a testing period. Notice what Peter says, if necessary. Even though now for a little while, if necessary, which implies that it isn't always necessary. Now, let me explain. It is necessary that you have a trial, that you experience suffering. But it isn't always necessary that God bombards you with a period of extreme testing in your life. This is what Peter is saying. There honestly hasn't been in all my Christian life a period of time where I haven't had some trial. But I honestly can say it hasn't always been a bombardment of testing. It hasn't always been extreme testing. That's what Peter is saying, if necessary. There's always a need for a trial, always a need. And some people seem to go through greater trials than others. It appears from Scripture and from history that when a man or a woman faces extreme trials and over and over again they just seem to suffer, it seems to me that these are the people that God uses most in this life. Alan Redpath in the 1950s said to a group of Dallas seminary men, he said, God seldom uses a man greatly until he first hurts him deeply. That's true. Look at a man or a woman that God is greatly using, and you think, what have they got that I don't have? Probably a whole lot of trials that you don't want. Probably God has put them through suffering that you're not even aware of. Suffering in their own family. It's those times that build a man, build a woman. I'll never forget the time just before our son Benjamin was born. Michelle and I went to the doctor, and they took a blood test on her and said, we want to talk to you about something. It seems like you have been exposed to German measles, and there could be something wrong with the baby. They said, look, but what we want to do is we want to take it through the lab again and check it out and make sure. And so we thought, well, we haven't had German measles. There's no problem with it. And we went home. A few days later, the doctor called me and said, I want to talk to you over the phone. I guess he was alone. I was alone. And he said, we ran it through the lab, and your wife has been exposed to German measles, and we'd like you to come in and talk about an abortion. Well, we would have never gone through an abortion even if something had been wrong. But he said to me, he said, we're going to run it through just to check one more time and make sure, but I don't want you to tell your wife, <laughs> which is easier said than done. In other words, he was saying, I want you to carry this yourself. Of course, we can cast it on the Lord, but we think about that. And he said, I'll get back with you in a few days, but don't tell her because this would really hurt the baby. It would hurt her to have to be concerned with this. And I can remember going to sleep at night and in my mind picturing mongoloid faces and thinking about my first child possibly being retarded. I couldn't share this with Michelle. I couldn't share it with her parents. I couldn't share it with my parents. I could hardly share it with anyone lest word would get out and get back to her. And I can remember just having to get alone here, my heart breaking. And I can remember going into a private place and just weeping and saying, God, if this is your will for me, I want to accept it. I want it, and I know you'll give me the grace. And I thank you for this child, no matter what's wrong with this baby. I will never have an abortion in that case. And Lord, I will accept it as your will, and I rejoice in it, or words to that effect. When I came out of that private meeting with God, Something had taken place in my life. There was a new perspective, a new growth. And in a new way, God began to move in my life because I had suffered. Now, nobody else really knew about that. And these are the kind of trials that others go through, maybe not that extreme, but that we usually don't broadcast. And I would never share it publicly, except that it fits in and would give you insight into the Word of God. 
just to finish the story, because I always hate to leave a story open like that, sometime the doctor called back and said, guess what? We made a mistake. And I said, thank you, and I went home and slept the whole afternoon. It just seemed like the world was lifted off my shoulders. But I thank God for that experience. And I thank God the suffering that went on that week because it molded me. It helped me. It matured me from someone who was just a young kid going to have his first child. Suddenly I felt like someone who was a veteran grandfather going through it all. And when you go through things like that, other trials don't seem that much. But God matures you. God builds your character. And you don't know but the suffering that's gone on in individual families. You don't know the trials that others face. You don't know what goes on in their heart. You don't know the heartache. When you suffer extreme difficulties, you've joined the select company of believers like Paul. I think Paul went through in one day more suffering than most of us go through in a lifetime, at least for the gospel's sake. And Jeremiah, who was so despised by his own people and thrown in a pit. And Moses, the Egyptians didn't like him and the Hebrews didn't like him. Today, he would really be in trouble in politics if the Jews and Arabs both didn't like him. He'd really have problems. And his own people didn't like him. The Egyptians didn't like him. He was misunderstood. He knew what suffering was all about. And how about David? Misunderstood by the king of Israel. Misunderstood by his closest friends. Misunderstood for something he was really not guilty of. But he suffered. And that's what God used in his life to make him the kind of man he was. We see a third truth. Trials come in a variety of colors. Now you may wonder, where does that say that? But look at the end of verse 6. You've been distressed by various trials. That word, various, is interesting. It's the Greek word, poikolos, which means many colored. And turn in your Bibles to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10. We see that this word is used one more time by the Apostle Peter in verse 10. He says, as each one has received a special gift, employ it in serving one another as good stewards of the manifold grace of God. That word manifold is the same word for various. And you know what Peter is saying? For every trial you have, God has a corresponding grace message to you. For every trial you have, God has the grace to fit that trial. The grace is his strength, his help. And you put that together for every, listen, if you have a many colored trials, if you have a blue trial, God has a blue grace. If you have a green trial, God has a green grace. For every trial you have, God has a corresponding grace to go right along with it. The many colored grace of God and the many colored trials that we have. First Corinthians 10:13, the apostle Paul said, no temptation has overtaken you, but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able, but with the temptation, provide the way of escape also that you may be able to endure it. And that way of escape many times is the grace of God given to you in a situation. God usually does not deliver us from our trials, does he? He delivers us in the midst of our trials because you can easily run away from a situation, but it's one thing to stay in there and let God perfect your character. Now, point two. Not only the reality for trials, but verse 7 tells us the reason for trials. Number one, it is reality that you face trials. It is inevitable. Number two, there is a reason for trials, verse 7. God has a purpose for us in suffering. I hasten to say that God isn't a cosmic killjoy waiting to put the pressure on us because he delights in seeing his children suffer. That is not what God would have you to think. That is a caricature of God. Verse 7, that the proof of your faith being more precious than gold, which is perishable, even though tested by fire. 
You know what this picture is? What Peter is dealing with is the picture of an ancient goldsmith who puts his gold into a crucible, which was a fireproof box. And what he did was he would subject the gold to intense heat. This was done to remove its impurities. As the gold liquefies, foreign matter, the impurities rise to the top, to the surface, for quick removal. The goldsmith just kind of skims the surface and removes it. The process continues until the goldsmith's face is reflected in the liquid, gold. The end result is pure gold. Now get the picture. That's exactly what Peter is saying your life is like. The reason for trials is this. This is one reason. God is purifying the life of his children. And he's put you in the crucible, that fireproof box of suffering, which is life, in which the process sin comes to the surface. When it comes to the surface, because nothing like suffering brings out our sin, when it comes to the surface... It's skimmed off by God until the end result is the reflection of Jesus Christ's character in your character. That's what God wants to do for you. That's what he wants to do for me, to purify our lives. And God turns on the heat. That's why the pressure is on. That's why Swindoll says it's persevering through pressure. God turns on that intense heat so that you and I might mature, might be purified. Isn't it true? I find this out that in the midst of trials, there's a lot of sin that comes to the surface. You know what? At least with me, real attitudes have a way of expressing themselves when the pressure is on. You can do a number of things. It's very easy when the pressure is off to praise the Lord, isn't it? It's very easy to say praise God when things are going well. But what about when trials hit? I have a tendency when trials hit me to get all annoyed and sin comes to the surface. And God really, when I have suffering and trials, God really shows me what I'm all about. Just a poor sinner saved by the grace of God. And it comes to the surface, and God says, Aha, you see, I knew it all along, but this trial was to purify you. I was aware of your sin, but you weren't. And it comes to the surface, and when I repent and confess my sin, God skims it off and says, Go back into the intense heat, and I'll turn it a little hotter, and we'll bring out some more sin. Because God, ultimately, he's not as concerned about anything else but purifying a Christian. The ultimate purpose of God in your life is to glorify himself. And he does this by building his character into our lives. Because the only thing that glorifies God is the character of Jesus Christ in your life and in my life. Look at James chapter 1. James is a book that deals with trials, not the whole book, but chapter 1 does. James chapter 1, verses 2 through 4. He says, Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials. Phillips says, Greet trials as friends, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. And let endurance have its perfect result. Why? That you may be perfect or mature and complete, lacking in nothing. He's concerned with making you more like Jesus. It's very simple. The Christian life really isn't that complex. God's building into you character, and he does it through purifying you, through trials, through suffering, through the misunderstandings that we spoke of this morning, through the criticisms that we spoke of, through the dislike of people, through heartache, through physical affliction through trials. We want to look at two other passages. I'd like you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8 through 11. Paul says, we're afflicted in every way, but not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying about in the body the dying of Jesus, the suffering that Jesus went through. He's saying that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our body. In other words, 
we go through the suffering like Christ went through so that Christ's life might shine through us now. Verse 11, for we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, that the life of Jesus also may be manifest in our mortal flesh. And then turn to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5, verse 1 through 4. He says, therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. But through him also we have obtained our introduction by faith into this grace in which we stand and we exult in the hope of the glory of God. And not only this, but we also exult in our tribulations. Why? Knowing that tribulation brings about, there's that word again, perseverance. And perseverance, proven character, and proven character, hope. And hope doesn't disappoint, because the love of God has been poured out within our hearts through the Holy Spirit who was given to us. God gives us trials to purify us. That's why you greet them as friends. You want to grow in Christ? That's the only way to do it. We have brethren who love Christ but are distorted in their views of thinking there's a quick way to spirituality. There are no shortcuts to spirituality. There's no shortcuts to growth. Growth is a steady process. It's a process of falling. It's a process of being hurt. It's a process of a child walking and falling down and scraping his knee and getting up and moving on. It's a process of making mistakes, of failure. I'll never forget the time that I was in Chicago last May with Dennis Finnan, and we had the privilege of getting together with Pastor John MacArthur for breakfast. I should say he ate breakfast and we talked. And John MacArthur told us, he said, we give leaders the opportunity to fail at our church. And I don't think I will ever forget that. That made such an impression on me that leadership and the whole Christian life is one series of failures. It really is. Erwin Lutzer, I've shared this before. A lot of this is not new to you. I do as Peter said, I stir up your remembrance. Erwin Lutzer has written a book, Failure, the back door to success. You fail. And when you fail, you just move on. God purifies you. It's when you see what you really are like, that sin, that God can skim it off. So it's purifying. There's another reason for testing. It's to prove the faith of the believer. Verse 7 says that the proof of your faith. The word proof literally means in the Greek to put someone to the test with the expectation of showing that he's worthy of being approved. It's not to fail. It's to show that he can pass the test. It was used in New Testament times, for those of you who are medical students, you'll enjoy this. It was used in New Testament times to describe the final examination all medical students had to pass before they were given the right to set up their own practices. Proof, the test, to pass it. You see the whole point? Trials put our faith to the test. And this is something that's really rich because when we are put to the test and are submissive to God and remain faithful to him, and we're open to those great lessons he has for us, we demonstrate by our attitude and by our actions that we have genuine faith. We really belong to Christ. It's a proof that God uses to give us assurance of our faith. Listen, if I wasn't saved, when those trials hit, when I was first converted, I would have said phooey on the whole thing and turned my back and walked away from the Lord. Now you think that couldn't possibly happen. It can happen for those who really are not saved. I want you to turn your Bibles to Matthew Matthew chapter 13. I want to show you something that's extremely important. Matthew chapter 13. Jesus is speaking in the parable of the sower. He says that there are a lot of different grounds that the seed is sown on. The seed is the word of God. And I want you to look at verse 5 and 6 and keep your, your hand in your Bible because we're going to look at verse 20 and 21 also. Chapter 13, verse 5 and 6. 
He says, and others fell upon the rocky places where they did not have much soil. And immediately they sprang up because they had no depth of soil. But when the sun had risen, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. Now look at verse 20 and 21. Now Jesus is explaining it now. And the one on whom the seed was sown on the rocky places, this is the man who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no firm root in himself, but it's only temporary. And when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he falls away. This person is not saved. I always appreciate the applications Pastor Steve lays out for us in his teaching. This is the one that grabbed my attention today. He said, Trials ought to bring out a radiant joy in our life. Not because it's wonderful to go through a trial, but because it's wonderful what God does in your life through a trial. Radiant joy. When you love Christ, when you trust Him, you'll be joyous. You'll be happy regardless of the circumstances. You know, it truly takes the joy of the Lord to be happy regardless of the circumstances of life. I found that to be not only encouraging, but challenging. We're going to continue looking at 1 Peter on the next verse-by-verse program, and I hope you're able to join us then. You're also invited to visit versebyverseradio.org to learn more about the program or to check out the Verse by Verse podcast. 